Hi, this is Neil Satin, the host of Relationship Alive. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say that if you find this podcast helpful, please consider making a donation to help support the podcast. You can do that by visiting neilsatin.com slash support or texting the word support to the number 33444 and following the instructions. And you can choose any level that feels right to you. Thank you so much in advance for your help in ensuring that this podcast can continue. I also wanted to mention that if you haven't picked it up yet already, you can grab my free uh, top three relationship communication secrets. These are communication tips that you can incorporate easily into how you communicate with your partner, and they're based specifically on things that will help you grow closer and more connected to your partner, even if you're communicating about something challenging. You can get that by visiting neilsatin.com slash relate or texting the word relate to the number 33444 and following the instructions. All right, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. Over and over on Relationship Alive, we've talked about ways that making a shift on your own can have an impact on your relationship. So how does that work exactly? And how do you avoid the frustration that can set in when, if you feel like you're carrying the weight of your entire relationship? How do you avoid that feeling of carrying the weight and instead enjoy the benefit of making the kinds of changes that actually do lead to new results? On today's episode, we are going to find out exactly how to do that. Our guest is Dr. David Burns. David Burns was one of the popularizers and early developers of cognitive behavioral therapy, and in particular, his book, Feeling Good, has sold millions upon millions of copies and is recommended by mental health professionals all over the world to as a self-help guide for overcoming depression, anxiety, and um, basically learning how to interact in the world and feel good. <laughs> I mean, it's it's an aptly titled book. His follow-up book, Feeling Good Together, introduced cognitive interpersonal therapy, which is all about how to bring that work into your relationship. And Feeling Good Together, the subtitle is The Secret to Making Troubled Relationships Work. I think what you find inside also is going to help you even if your relationship isn't troubled, just in terms of finding deeper connection and, as I mentioned a moment ago, feeling the ways that your own shifts in how you do the dance of relationship can have such a big impact on your own happiness and on your connectedness to your partner. So as with all of our shows, we're going to have a detailed show guide. You can get that if you go to neilsatin.com slash feeling good, all one word together. And, uh, or you can just text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions and I will send you a link to the show guide for this episode as well as all of the other Relationship Alive episodes. I'm really excited to have David Burns with us today. David, thank you so much for joining us on Relationship Alive. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I'm, I'm really delighted. 
Well, let's dive right in and not waste a moment. It, you know, it was challenging for me because I honestly felt like we could do a whole show on feeling good and then we could do a whole show on feeling good together. But since this is a show primarily focused on relationships, um, let's focus there and, and we'll pull in the um, straight up CBT stuff as it feels appropriate for you. Um, I'm curious... What if what have you found? This is like the way that you start out feeling good is so great because you basically talk about um, these theories of relationships and what goes wrong and why they're not always that helpful. So I'm wondering if you can just articulate a little bit how what was your path into figuring out what really worked when you were working with a couple? Well, uh, after Feeling Good came out, uh, and it, it, it began selling quite a bit, which was a surprise to the publishers because they didn't think a book on, on depression would have any uh, you know, mass market appeal. Uh, but it started selling by word of mouth, and so they were printing it and reprinting it and reprinting it. And so they, they started to look for another, for another book from me. And... This was in the early 1980s. Cognitive therapy was was just making tremendous waves as a, a drug-free treatment for, for depression. And so a lot of us were, were saying maybe we can apply these same principles to troubled relationships. And the, the idea there was that when you're at odds with someone, you're thinking about them in this illogical way, like, oh, he's a bum, all he cares about is himself, he, he never listens. So you have all of this all-or-nothing thinking and, and, and blaming the other person and uh, overgeneralizations, all the same kind of thinking errors that, that trigger depression. And so a lot of us, you know, Aaron Beck, uh, who I learned cognitive therapy from, he was a professor at, at Penn, uh, when I was a, a resident and uh, learning about uh, psychotherapy. And and so we all thought, gosh, we can use this same approach with, with troubled relationships. And I even drafted a book uh, on it uh, called Couples in Conflict, Couples in Love. It was a great title. And so I sent the proposal to my editor and she called back three days later and says, uh, Dave, uh, this is a wonderful darling. You know how they talk in, in New York. Uh, this is a sure number one bestseller. Uh, you know, we'll just tighten it up and push it out the door. It's going to make a huge splash. But I had been noticing that the uh, – and she said we're going to you know, send you a, a huge advance for this book, a six six-figure advance, which was – more money than I'd ever seen, and uh, she was all all excited. But I started noticing that the techniques weren't working in clinical situations. I'd have a troubled couple come in, and I'd you know teach them all these things, and they'd they'd hug in the office, and I'd give them homework to you know use these techniques when they went home, and they would go home and beat each other's brains in and come in not having done any of their homework and totally miserable the next week. And so I told Maria, I, I said, let's hold off the publication of this book for about six months so I can get more vignettes, you know, uh, success examples uh, for, for the book. And she said, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Well, six months later, I was zero out of 50 
in terms of using these techniques to help wow. troubled couples. And you know, it broke my heart. I, I wrote to, I, I called her. I said, Maria, I hate to tell you this, but the book's a fraud. It sounds great on paper, but I don't care if it's going to be a number one bestseller. These techniques don't work. They work great for depression, but for some reason they don't work for, for conflicted marriages or troubled re- relationships. And uh, if I can ever figure what the true true cause is, uh, th- th- then I'll you know write another write another book. But uh, in the meanwhile, I'm going to send the the advance back uh, to to you and and uh, you know cancel the contract or put it on a long delay or something. And and so I I can't I canceled I canceled the book and it took really a couple of decades before it finally the answer finally came to me and and you know uh, was dawning on me. But I, I think if you look at all the outcome literature on relationship therapy uh, you know it goes from wave to wave and people write these books getting the love you need or love is not enough or you know various things and people have all these techniques for helping troubled relationships that that's what i was was doing but the techniques didn't work you know you can schedule uh, loving times together have, have a date or find out what your partner likes or you know change your distorted thinking uh, think more realistically in uh, eliminating all these barriers to to intimacy that people were were doing and are doing to this day but those techniques in my experience just were about the biggest flop uh, imaginable uh, and if you look at the uh, outcome literature on all the forms of couples therapy it's not that encouraging they most of the schools of couples therapy do a little bit better than placebo treatment but 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 not much and uh and and so i did a lot of research and and a lot of thinking a lot of clinical work to see what what why is it that that these techniques uh, fail and then that's what led to uh, you know the approach that I eventually uh, came up with and wrote and, and have written about in my book, uh, Fe- Feeling Good Together. And since we're you know since we're talking about uh, the outcomes that are are measurable, um, yeah, that's what, right. Yeah, what is that? What has that been like in your experience with the cognitive interpersonal therapy? Well, the new the new techniques that I'm using, I, I think, are more, are more powerful and more more promising. But if you look at the outcome literature and the world literature on all these schools of couples therapy that are based on helping people by teaching them techniques, it's not very good. You see, maybe in the short term, maybe 50% of troubled couples get some help in say 12 to 15 weeks of, of, of therapy and some help might be defined as an improvement in relationship satisfaction but maybe not developing a really optimal re- relationship and then over time a lot of those initial gains disappear and the, and the couple uh, end up uh, getting getting divorced or separating uh, and uh and, and 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 I I, I discovered that you've got to really come in from a radically uh, radically different perspective. Uh, that that the 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 cause of relationship problems is quite different from what what people have been claiming. Yeah. So so enlighten us. Um, what? Yeah. What's that new perspective that you brought to the? Scene? Well, I've. 
I've coined two terms. One is called outcome resistance and one is called process resistance. And they may be overly technical for your audience, but they have a very, very practical term, uh, very practical and basic meaning. Outcome resistance means that if if you're treating someone, they, they don't want a good outcome. And, and so what that means in, the, in, in, in a, a, a troubled marriage or, or if you're at, a, at conflict with, with a colleague or a friend is, is that you go to the therapist, you say, oh, I'm not getting along with my sister or my mother or my spouse. And uh, the, the, the therapist assumes, okay, well, this person wants a, a joyous and loving relationship. But often, nothing can be further from the truth. The person doesn't really want a good relationship with the person they're, 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 uh, they're complaining about. And, uh, and then if the therapist tries to help that person, they, they will resist the treatment. That's called outcome resistance because the, the person doesn't want to get close to the person they're, they're ticked off at. And, and the way I bring this out about in, in uh, workshops um, and we could even do the experiment with, with the listeners right now. Great, as, let's do as, it. As I say, um, j- just to bring this idea to, to life, imagine one person you, you don't like. Uh, can you think of one person now or at any point in your life, someone you kind of deeply resent and maybe they're, they always have to be right or they won't listen uh, or uh, they're, they're, they're controlling, uh, they, they, they can't share their feelings, they're, they're always exploiting other pe- people, uh, narcissistic, you know, and how many of you can think of someone like that? And so all the hands go, go up. And then I say, now let, let's imagine there's a magic button on, right on the desk in front of you, and if you press that magic button, that person who who you're you're so ticked off at, who you so deeply resent, will instantly become your greatest friend in in the whole world, with no effort at all. How many of you are going to press that that magic button? And then people laugh, and maybe if you've got a, a group of two hundred in the workshop, maybe one or two hands will go up. And then I say, now notice what just happened. I I, I just gave you the choice between a hostile, abusive, troubled relationship, a mean-spirited one, and uh, a joyous, loving, peaceful relationship. And and what did you choose? And then it kind of dawns on on people. Yeah, I I, I don't really want to get close to that uh, to that person. And so the first thing I began to do is to study why why is it you know that 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 we don't really want to get close to most of the people we're we're at odds with and because you see the couple therapists the marital therapists aren't taking this into account uh, for, for at least for the most part not the ones I've I've studied and attended their workshops and to see what what are they up to it's all on helping people get close without taking into account the question do you really want to get 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 close to this to this person and so i began and that's in 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 my book feeling good together one of the chapters is do we secretly love to hate uh, you know what are the factors the motives that compete with with the motive uh, for, for 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 joy and and, and intimacy and, and and so the first the first 
issue in, in Friedman is really, do, do you want a, a better relationship with, with this person? And frequently the ans- answer is, is no. Sometimes we, we'd rather blame, we'd, we'd rather be right, we, 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 we want to get back at, at, at the other person. Uh, uh, we, you, there's many... There, there can be hidden agendas that, that people have to maybe want to use someone for, for, for money. Uh, we, we like being married to someone who's wealthy as long as we don't have to spend time with that person. There's a whole 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 range of uh, uh, motives that, that co- compete with intimacy. So the first question in treatment is, is you know, the, the outcome resistance question, do, do you really want to get, get close to this person? And and then there's no correct answer to that. Maybe some people aren't worth the investment of, of your time and effort. I, I I'm not of the belief that all troubled relationships have have to be have to be fixed. Well, anyway, that's the first issue that that I began to to, to think about when creating this this new new approach to troubled relationships. And then the, the second issue is called process resistance. And I ask and ask the listeners right now, if if you did want to get close to that person, what is one thing you're gonna to have to do that you're probably not gonna to want to do? In other words, what process will you have to get engaged in? To, to, to make that relationship work, to make that a loving, convert that hostile relationship to, to a loving one. And, and, and to help people answer that question, I, I, then I ask the audience, and we can ask the listeners now, who in your heart of hearts do you think is more to blame for that relationship, the person you're not getting along with, uh, the person you don't like? Who, who's the bigger jerk, you or the other person? And then people right, generally it's obviously start, the other person. Exactly. So it's, it's the other person. Put your hands up, but then you know, ninety-five percent of the hands go up, and I say that, or eighty percent anyway, eighty or ninety percent. And then I say that's the way it is in 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 our culture. We're always telling ourselves that it's the other person's fault, and we see ourselves as as, as the victim. And then I say to the audience, what is the prognosis for helping a troubled relationship when, with helping someone who says, it's the other guy's fault, it's her fault, it's, it's his fault? And they say, yeah, the prognosis is, is zero. So that's the second kind of bridge we have to go across is if I were to agree to help you with this relationship, would you be willing to give up blame? And pinpoint your own role in the pl- in the problem, and spend all of your efforts on trying to change yourself, rather than uh, trying to change the the other person. And and some people will say yes, and many people will say will say no. Uh, I, I, I yeah, I, I mean, I can I, speak right to that just yeah. through you know through reading, feeling good together, and. You know, I did your exercises as I went oh, through, did you? That's and, great. and um, you know, I I right from the beginning bumped up against fear that I had, and and I wasn't doing it with my partner um, because you know you use the example of you know picking someone who you really don't get along well with. So that for me, that's not my partner. Um, however, um, I could feel like just like just around the corner from the promise of wow this could be great there's all that fear around what i would have to give up in my own 
like my own sense of um, what's right in the world or my own sense of um, fairness. For me, it came down a lot to like justice and fairness and, and um, that's huge. That's one of the the things that competes with intimacy for sure. That's one of the eight things uh, that, that, that we want sometimes more than a, a loving relationship, justice, fairness, revenge, that 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 type of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so it makes sense to me that um, that someone would experience resistance to having to do anything differently, or even to the outcome of everything being great. Um, right. And I think one of the questions that comes up for me is, from your perspective, how do you know, like? Like when is it worth it? For I'm I'm really trying to articulate this question. I spent a lot of time thinking about it as well. It's like, what if the other person really like? Let's just say, okay, for the for the time being, David, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going to take a hundred percent of the responsibility for my side of things, and I'm just going to give that my all. At what point would I be able to say, like, you know, actually, I've been giving this my all, and that other person really is an asshole, and I need to get out of here? Or, um, well, as the Buddha said uh, 2,500 years ago, there are no assholes in the United States at this time. <laughs> <laughs> there are assholeish behavior exists, and we all do that. But, uh, uh, but, but, but the question is, is ultimately a personal one uh, of, uh, uh, you know, what are the advantages and disadvantages of, of working hard to make this relationship better? What are the advantages and disadvantages of getting out of the relationship? And, and what are the advantages and disadvantages of, of, of the status quo? When you, I always tell people when you have a troubled relationship, that, that's the decision you, you, you need you need to make, and and uh, I, I'd be glad to work with you if you want to make the relationship better. And I've got some fantastic, you know, powerful tools for for doing that. But if you want to leave the relationship, I would totally support you in in that decision as well. And if you want to stay in the relationship and and do nothing to change it, you know, I I, I can accept that that choice as as well. But beyond that, if if someone wants to make a relationship better, then I always work uh, uh, through through specifics. Uh, well, I, because uh, one of the things uh, that's that I've discovered that's amazing is all the problems in a relationship will be encapsulated in any 30-second exchange between the two people who are at odds with each other. And all you have to do is say, what did the other person say that was... Uh, upsetting to you, write it down on a piece of paper and then write down exactly what you said next. And there you'll you'll see the entire cause of the relationship problem and you'll also have the potential to transform the relationship because when you transform a troubled relationship at just one moment the the entire relationship will 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 change uh, but it, it's it it requires great skill and it also requires humility because it involves the death of the ego because 
once you suddenly see that you're actually triggering the very problem that you've been complaining about, it it, it is very painful uh, to 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 have to look at that it's it, it's it's humiliating really uh, and and the tool that I've created is is very powerful for for revealing that to people but if you have the courage to do that then at the same time you can become empowered because if you're the one who's creating the very problem you're complaining about you also have the power to transform that relationship uh, very very quickly by thinking about it in a different way and communicating with that person in a radically different way we could we could get give an example of that if you like sure that would be great i was doing a workshop in and i'll give a real simple example of this uh, that um, uh, I, I was up in sacramento doing a workshop for the general public at the request of the uh, sutter health system there they, they wanted me to do a, a day workshop teaching mental health professionals and then a half a day workshop on relationship issues for the, the general public. And so uh, I was saying, Let, let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. Who, who's the difficult person in, in, in your life? R- write down one person, one thing that person said to you and exactly what you said next because then, then, then we can – I can show you how to find out exactly why that relationship is failing, and I can show you how to to make it a more loving relationship. So, there were several hundred people there, and uh, and this. Uh, so they wrote it down about two minutes, and then I said, "Now, who would like to share with us who's the difficult person in your life?" And there was this woman in the front row. And she was waving her arm very uh, actively and trying to get my attention. So I called on her and I, I said, well, who's, who is the difficult person in, in, in your life? And she said, oh, well, my, it's my husband. He's been criticizing me all day, every day for, for 25 years. He is just so, so critical. And I came to this workshop to find out why are men like that? And then I, I said, well, scientists don't yet know why men are the way they are or why women are the way they are. But if you'll give me the example you wrote down, what's one thing your husband said to you and what exactly did you say next? Maybe we'll get a, a feel for what's what's going on in your relationship and uh, what, what, what the, the cause of the problem is. And and she said, well, sure. Well, just uh, y- y- yesterday he – he, he, he shouted at me and he, he said, you never listen. I said, that's great. Now, that's what your husband said. And now, what exactly did you say next? And she said, oh, uh, I, I just ignored him. Uh, and then when she said that, the whole audience burst into laughter. And they, they, they could see something that apparently seemed invisible to her. And this, this is the amazing thing is, is how we see ourselves as, as victims and we don't see the impact of our behavior on the other person. She said, I, I just said, I usually say nothing. I just ignore him. And then, then the next thing you want to say is, is now your response. Is that an example of good or bad communication? Good communication, you acknowledge the other person's feelings you share your own feelings respectfully, and you treat the other person with respect. I call that E-A-R, empathy, assertiveness, and, and, and respect. And uh, so the first question is, did she empathize with him? 
Right. Did she not, acknowledge not at all. Feelings? Not, at, not all. at all. Yeah. Did she share her own feelings? Not at all. No, she acted them out in a passive-aggressive way. Uh, and did she convey a warmth or, or respect? No. No. So suddenly she's here pointing the finger of blame at her husband. She's been doing that for 25 years. And all of a sudden the finger of blame goes around 180 degrees and is pointing right back at her. And that's, that's pretty painful and shocking for people to have to examine your own role when you're so used to blaming the other person. And then the next question is, what is the impact of, of responding like this, the way you, you do? What, what will her husband think, feel, and, and do next? What will he conclude when she, she reacts to him like this? Well, it seems clear that his conclusion would be that she doesn't care about what he has to say and yes, probably right. isn't listening to her. Yeah. To yeah. Her. So who is forcing him to say to her, you never listen? Right. It's It seems like it's coming straight from her, straight from yeah. how she's responding. Right. Now, before you assume that David gangs up on women, if he had come to the workshop instead, he would have had to look at his role and it would have turned out that he's causing it. And I call that uh, relationship relativity. Whoever is asking for help, you can always show that they're entirely causing the, the problem. And But she came, you see, to find out why her husband is so screwed up. She sees herself as a victim. And then when you use this tool, you suddenly have to look at your own role. And it's extremely painful. It's painful for me when I have when I have to do this uh, because I'm always so convinced I'm right and the other person is wrong and it and and it's their fault. But if you have the courage to do this, and this involves the death of the ego, it's a spiritual thing. It it just it's 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 very painful to look at your own role when you were so convinced that you were right and the other person was wrong and they're screwed up and, 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 and you're the victim. We can take another more sophisticated example of, of, of this, if you like. But, but, but the, the bottom line, of course, is then if the person is willing to do this, then I can show them how to, to transform the relationship by responding in a radically, radically different way, in this case, to the husband who says, uh, you you never listen. We could talk about you know using the five secrets of effective communication to then to develop intimacy uh, w- with him or with whoever with whoever you're at odds with. But but before I, I will I'm willing to teach any patient how to the secrets of effective communication. They fir- first got to be willing to to examine first convince me they want a closer relationship. That's the outcome re- resistance thing, and many do not. They you know, what could be better than having some ex-husband to kind of kick around and complain to friends about or, or something like, like that? There, there's a lot of rewards for us in having tr- troubled, troubled relationships. But if you can convince me you do want a loving relationship with this, with this person, then, then let, let's see if you're willing to examine your role. And and then if you're willing have the courage to do that, <clears throat> then you'll get your reward after your the death of your ego. You can go to heaven <laughs> with the other person and 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 enjoy enjoy intimacy. But that's kind of the structure of of the system that I have created. Yeah, yeah, and you know I could imagine this woman perhaps 
saying something like, well, there was a time when I did try to communicate and, but I, you know, so many years have gone by that now I just shrug my shoulders and how would you respond to something? I'd like say, that? yeah, and maybe then this isn't something you want to work on. Can I help you with anything else? Mm. Yeah. And I call that sitting with open hands. In other words, I'm not going to play the game of the person of defending themselves. Mm. Uh, and, and, and if she's saying, I, I, I don't want to look at my own role, I tried that, it didn't work, or, or whatever you know, claim that she, she's going to make, I just say, well, yeah, ab- absolutely. And you tried some things a number of years ago, and they haven't been effective, and maybe you're not looking to, uh, to, to change, change the way you relate to them at this time. I would, I would totally, totally understand yeah, yeah, and I could see how then you're just kind of left with either sitting back down at the workshop or or um, being willing to be like, all right, okay, I guess I'll I'll take the next step and see what you're see what you're even talking about. Yes, so. well, the patient may or the or the client may or the client may not It'll be the same in a therapy session, but right. I think the biggest therapeutic error is trying to help patients. Mm. And and uh, in in the team CBT that I've that I've created, um, it's really bringing the patient's resistance to conscious awareness, and give them permission not to change. And 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 it's really the patient's job to convince me to work with them. It's not my job to convince the the patient to change. And that shift has made all the difference in the world, although I would have to say that in the in the treatment of depression and anxiety using the new team CBT, I can usually get a complete elimination of symptoms with the patient the first time I sit down with them. If I can have a two-hour session, I can usually, not always, but almost always bring about what you say complete recovery you know in one in one session using these resistance busting techniques that I've developed. But relationship problems are much more difficult uh, because p- people are quite ambivalent about getting close to the people that we're at odds with. Uh, the idea that we all yearn for loving relationships, I, I don't think is is as true as we'd like to believe. And and then if even if we do want to get closer, the the idea of looking at your own role. Is, is is pretty painful for people. So maybe in one last moment on this concept of resistance, um, since I mean this is a this is great because I think um, while many of the people who listen to this show do listen with their partners, a lot also listen and maybe wish that their partner was listening and feel like okay, I just like if only I could get them to blah blah. And, That's right. And so I I feel like this is great because when you recognize that resistance, then that's a step towards your own empowerment and like stepping out of being a victim to whatever it is that's happening. Yeah. I'm wondering, so if I'm listening to this show and, and seeing like, oh my God, he's totally right. I have resistance. And what what could you, what would you suggest to me as a way to help heal my own resistance so that I could take the next step fully? 
Well, now one tool, there's a lot of tools in, in feeling good together. And uh, one actually, my, my wife, who's a clinical psychologist, she's the brains in our family, actually. But she is a tool that I had developed for depression. And, and she made me aware of how powerful it, it can be in relationship problems. Um, and, you know, if, if you really do, first question is, do I want to get closer to whoever this person is? And then the second thing would do a, what I call a blame cost-benefit analysis. And, and uh, you take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and, and let the left-hand column is advantages and the right-hand column is, is disadvantages. And I also do this often as a workshop exercise, which is really helpful for people, is what are the advantages of blaming this person or blaming people in general for our problems what are what are some of the disadvantages Let, let's see if we can come up with a few a few of the uh, few of them right right now and then maybe the, the listeners can do this exercise with someone that they're they're at odds with what are some of the advantages of blaming other people for the problems in our relationships and i'll, I'll jot them down here i'll kind of kind of keep track and maybe the listeners can grab a piece of paper and do this Right now. Sure. As, as, well, as okay. Well. So the advantages of blaming the other person are, um, well, one is I, I get to be right. Okay, that's number one, and I call that truth. Yeah. <laughs> and I say that tr truth is the cause of almost all suffering in the world today. If you take any troubled couple or two troubled nations or two religions that are at war with each other. Every sentence that comes out of the mouth is "I'm right and you're wrong." Yeah, and the other, and, and the flip side is also true that the advantage of blaming the other person is that I wouldn't have to feel the pain of having messed so up. So I've written down number number two. The on the advantage side is is no guilt and 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 pain and 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 that's and that's for sure. If I can blame you, then I don't have to, to feel pain. What are some other benefits? And I would um, encourage the listeners to do this. I'm doing it on paper right right now. And it, do it on – just take a piece of paper and just draw a line down, down the middle. This is a good exercise. What are some other benefits of Yeah, blame? maybe getting compassion from other people around my problem. Yeah, sure. I can. Yeah, support for, for, from others. I can gossip about what a loser so and so <laughs> is, and a lot of people will support will support me. And and we can also call that uh, scapegoating. It's 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 really fun to uh, to scapegoat others. Uh, so we'll call that uh, number four. I'll get support from others, and then I can you know scapegoat the, the the person I'm at odds with. What are some other benefits? How about moral superiority? Oh, yeah, for sure, that one. That's huge. Uh, what are some other benefits? Um, no change is required. Right, right. It sort of strengthens the case for me being okay just as I am. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. You're not okay. <laughs> <laughs> And on and on. Well, we've got seven here. My daughter and I did this as an exercise when we were writing the book, uh, although we didn't include it. But we came up with uh, 34 overpowering, distinct benefits fr from uh, bl blaming other people. Uh, it's, it's really very powerful. And then are there any disadvantages? What, what's the disadvantage? Well, the disadvantage would be... Um then I'm powerless to do anything to change oh, yes. the situation. 
Yes, powerless. And by the way, over on the advantages side, we can add I can be angry all the time. Mm. And I can also justify getting back at the person. Mm. Right? Being, Being nasty. Right, right. Revenge. Yeah, revenge. And then I always ask the audience, what form of aggression do you like, active aggression or passive aggression? <laughs> and I always say, I prefer passionate, passive aggression because I can kind of uh, be nice to you and screw you behind your back and maintain a facade of innocence. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, re- revenge is another advantage. Yeah, I'm yeah. afraid that our advantages column is going to be way too big. That our yeah, let's go back to the disadvantage. <laughs> I'm up to ten in the advantage. Number one on the disadvantage, I'm powerless because you feel powerful when you blame, but you're actually impotent to do anything. Right. To 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 change the situation. What what are some other disadvantages? Um. Well, it main it probably maintains the status quo, which is painful. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a problem. So yeah, it's painful and exhausting to be angry all the time and to be in this battle with with, with somebody. Yeah, it's, it's a lot uh, from a Buddhist point of view. That's a lot to be carrying around all all the time, and from a practical po- po- point of view. Yeah, yeah. What are some other disadvantages of, of blame? I think that it um, well, what's coming to me is that it creates like it well, maybe it's it's a little bit of what we were just saying that it absorbs a lot of energy, so right. um it also feels like for me, it's not like I'm not anchoring in the best part of me right 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 what. How, what what's a simpler way to put that? I, um, I mean, maybe an oversimplified way of putting it is that it's more coming from love. I'm sorry, coming from fear than coming from love. Yeah, that that's the, uh, fear, uh, not love based. Yeah, I'm like disconnected from my compassion and disconnected it, it, from yes. my understanding. Yeah, there you go. That's great. No, there's no compassion. Another thing is there's there's no growth. Mm. and learning because in the example I gave with this poor woman who's been blaming her husband you know if if she's willing to examine her role there's a fantastic capacity there for spiritual growth if you're religious I'm not but the, it, uh, still these things are of a spiritual nature I think and, and practical growth uh, also a disadvantage of blame is you're not involved in the truth be- because you're hiding your own role mm. in the conflict from, from yourself right any other disadvantages how about health health benefits health issues you're angry all the time yeah yeah there you're operating in stress um yeah. and yep. uh and that was yeah that when you were just talking that's what came up for me is like the the cost of blame is just like you get to the growth that you get is you're, you're, I guess you're learning how to cope with being angry all the time at that person versus the growth of like, how could we actually get past this? Yes. And also you don't have the, the, the joy of, of intimacy, of closeness. Right. Uh, so one can add to these lists of listeners probably get a feel for that. And then at the bottom one, I say, once you've gotten everything you can think of on your list, put two circles at the bottom like a barbell type of thing, and is it 
put two numbers that add up to 100, is it 50-50, 60-40, 40-60? Like if the advantages of blame are much greater, it might be 80-20 in the two circles. If the disadvantages are greater, it might be like 40 in the advantage side and 60 in the disadvantage side. And then when I do it with a workshop audience, I say, how many of you, how did it come out? And most people, not everybody, but most people, three quarters of people will say the disadvantages outweigh the advantages. And and I call this the intimacy exercise or the blame cost benefit analysis. And they say that's that that's great. Now I can show you how to turn that around by looking at your own role in this problem with your sister or your spouse or your partner or your what mother or your neighbor, who whoever the person is. But if the person says the advantages of blame are greater then I say, well, that absolutely, you, you you can take that that route. I totally understand, but unfortunately, I don't know of any techniques in the world powerful enough to help someone who's who's blaming the other person. Perhaps there's something else I could be helping you with today. And then I that's again called sitting with with open hands. Uh, I I'm not willing to work with a patient a client, whatever word you want, and unless they're willing to look at their own their own role in the problem. And that's even if the person they're interacting with is a hostile, a, abusive individual, you still want to look at your role because hostile and abusive individuals are the easiest to control if you're willing to change the way you interact with them. And we could finish up with a like a little brief story to, to bring this to life, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because um, people are always saying when I teach about the five secrets of effective communication, we didn't have time to get into them today, but I, I do like what we've been doing. Uh, the uh, people always ask, well, you know, suppose the person you're interacting with is t- totally a hostile, horrible person. How, uh, you know, then you wouldn't want to be looking at your own role or, you know, changing the way you interact. I had this dog, salty dog, that my wife gave me, I think for my 40th 40th birthday or something. She knew I loved Samoyeds, and then uh, he he and I really developed a loving uh, relationship. And when we moved out to California from Philadelphia, then uh, he he, he was about 15, and he got uh, colon cancer, and uh, he eventually died. But uh, toward, toward the end, you know, it was cold and rainy here, and he couldn't like kind of control his his peeing and his 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 pooing. It was really sad, and we didn't have the heart to to put him outside. So I was at the local drugstore, uh, and and I saw that they were renting these huge carpet cleaner things uh, for like fifteen bucks or twelve bucks, and you can have it for twenty four hours and shampoo your carpet. So I thought, oh, that's that's what I we need, and we'll you know just shampoo all these smelly areas on our carpets mm-hmm. and so I put it in the back of my car I had a little uh, convertible with a tiny back seat uh, that the thing could barely sit in there in fact it was just all wedged up in the air so I couldn't see out the rear view mirror and I came to this stop sign and I was trying to uh, adjust the the rear the, the edge mir- mirrors on the car because to try to be able to see behind because the the one in the middle was all this carpet cleaner thing was blocking it. And I heard these people shouting profanities, uh, you know, like, get the F out of there, you old fart type of thing. And, mm-hmm. and I looked around and there's one of these big, huge 
kind of like gunship Jeep things. You know what I mean? <laughs> the big tires and the gun turrets on top and the lights and stuff. And there were two teenagers in this thing and they were honking their horn and flipping birds and, and you know, get, get out of here. And I hadn't seen them behind me. So I, I, I shot through the, the, the stop sign and pulled over to the edge of the road because it was a one-lane road, and they went by and threw a beer can at me, and they were flipping birds and shouting, you know, the F word and, and this type of thing. And they were really, you know, hostile guys. And then I had to start following them because it was a one-way road, and another mile, it separated into two at, at, at a light. And so I pulled up right next to them, and on their right, and this teenager, he's way up there. He looks like he's 19 years old and leans out with this angry look on his face like, you know, we're going to get you, you old fart. And I looked up to him, and I and I says, you know, I, I really owe you guys an apology because uh, uh, I, I, I couldn't see out my rearview mirror, and, and I didn't realize you, you guys were, were behind me. You, you see, I've got this this elderly dog who's dying of, of colon cancer and he, and he's peeing on the carpets and stuff and we didn't have a heart to put him out so I got this carpet cleaner at Long's drugstore and, uh, and, 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 that, and that's why, uh, why I couldn't see you guys and I'm, I'm really, really sorry. And the guy's jaw just dropped open and he says, oh, your dog is dying? He says, I, I have a dog too. Uh, Hey, you! You want us to come over? Maybe we can help you clean the carpets. <laughs> and I says, "Oh no, no! You guys are young. You're having you're having fun." He says. Well, then he said, "Well, you want a beer?" And I says, "No, no, that's okay." But I used to be young and wild too, and I used to ride my motorcycle and drink beer and do all kinds of crazy things. You you guys have have, have your fun. I'll go back and and uh, you know work on on the carpets. And though they were happy as can be and sped off, but it was just so interesting. And the point might not be obvious to the listeners but there's there's two points here uh, in, instead of blaming them I, I looked at my own role in the thing and instead of like getting into some battle with them I treated them with with respect tried to see the world through their eyes and 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 uh, you know just just treat treat them with, with with warmth warmth and respect I didn't buy into the invitation to do battle or to treat them as you know bad inferior you know bl- blameworthy people right which and, they would have happily stepped into had you yeah. gone that route yeah, and then I would have had to beat the tar out of them, and I just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> these young muscular teenagers uh, wouldn't want to uh, humiliate them like that. That's <laughs> humor, but uh, anyway, that would be that would that would be uh, be an example. But it's it's hard to get these messages uh, across because we so much want to be right. We want to get back at people. We want to be in the role of a victim, and uh, and and so that, to my way of thinking, is is where the action is, and so. Whereas uh, it's good to learn communication techniques and various behavioral things to to improve troubled relationships, the the real cause is at a a deeper level of of motivation and resistance. And that's why I've I've developed this new approach to to relationship, uh, relationship conflicts. You were speaking earlier about the experiment of taking a single thing that your partner has said and then what your response to that was and then evaluating whether or not it was good communication. And so just to summarize, 
um, you said that the hallmarks of good communication are, are, do you empathize with the other person? Um, do you express yourself? Uh, do you assert how you feel? And do you do that respectfully, E-A-R? And, and I think if we dive into the five secrets of effective communication, people will get a sense of what that actually means in practice. Yeah. Well, I'll just briefly mention them and 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 say, give an example with this, the woman whose husband says, "You you know, you're uh, you never listen." Uh, the the I have uh, the the five secrets of effective communication. There's three empathy or listening techniques. One is called the disarming technique, and that's the most important one of all. And that's finding truth in what the person says even if their criticism of you seems uh, irrational or unfair or, or untrue. And it's based on what I call the law of opposites. And the law of opposites is, is that if you uh, defend yourself from a criticism that seems unfair, the fact that you defend yourself will prove that the criticism is absolutely valid. And that's a paradox. And... Let me repeat it. If if someone gives you a loved one or if you're a therapist, say a patient, g- gives you a criticism that seems irrational and untrue, and, and if you defend yourself, you'll prove that the criticism is actually right. And the other side of the paradox is, is if you instantly and genuinely agree with a criticism that seems preposterous, unfair, and untrue, the moment you agree with it, you'll prove that it isn't true and the other person will stop believing it and that's that's another uh, paradox that's called the disarming uh, technique you agree with with a criticism then there's <clears throat> thought empathy and feeling empathy thought empathy and you don't do these in any order by by the way these are like the keys on a musical instrument and i'm just saying what the techniques are not how you would actually use them but uh, thought empathy is repeating the person's words, so so they'll they'll see that that you got the message. Uh, feeling empathy is acknowledging how the person is probably feeling, given what what they 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 said to you. And inquiry is the third listening skill. It's asking gentle, probing questions to to get more information about what the other person is thinking and feeling. Then the assertiveness skill is, um, is I call I feel statements. I feel statements. That's uh, expressing your your feelings in a a gentle, open, direct, and non-threatening way. And the formula here is, you know, I'm feeling a bit X, Y, and Z as well. And X, Y, and Z could be could be feeling words from a, a list of feeling words, like I'm feeling a bit anxious right now, I'm feeling a bit awkward as well, uh, so, so, something like that. And then the last technique, I've tried to rename it for years, it's kind of a crude name, I have not been able to get anything better, I'd call it stroking. And it, it's, it's to convey warmth and, and respect, uh, even in the heat of, of battle. And so, um, so let's take this woman who, whose whose husband is saying to her, "You you never you you never listen." Well, 
she could use the five secrets of, of effective communication. Uh, and uh, for example, uh, she might say something like, you know, you're, you're right. I haven't been a good listener. I've been arguing with you and defending myself for years and finally dawned on me that what you're saying is absolutely right. That would be an example of the disarming technique as well as uh, th thought empathy. Uh, or she might say, uh, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if you're probably feeling really frustrated and tick, ticked off at me for, for, for not being a better listener. Uh, uh, can, can, you, can, can you tell me what that's been like for you? And that would be an example of feeling empathy and, and, and inquiry. Or, or she could say something like, like – like this, I, you know, it, it admits me to have it, it upsets me to have to admit this because I love you so much, and now I realize I've been pushing you away and ignoring you for years. And that would be an I feel statement when she says it, it, it upsets me, it hurts me to, to, hear, to hear you say this. And then because I love you so much would be stroking, and, and now I realize I've been pushing you away and ignoring you for years, and that would be the disarming technique. Uh, and tell me more about how, how you've been feeling. That's, that would be inquiry. And, and you see the paradox here is when she says, you know, I've been pushing you away and ignoring you for years. She's agreeing with his criticism, but what will he conclude? Now she's actually listening to him. And that's, that's the law of opposites. But that's very hard for us to do because we want to blame the other person, and that involves the, the, the death of the, of the ego. And so learning how to do this is like learning how to play a musical instrument, and there's a lot of errors that people make. I've made it seem simple, but it's, it, it's, it's quite, quite challenging. And even for the therapists I train, I have a free weekly training group for uh, therapists at Stanford uh, Department of Psychiatry. It's a service to the community, and therapists in the Bay Area can come and have unlimited free psychotherapy training, and it's a two-and-a-half-hour seminar every Tuesday night. And it takes them a long time uh, to, to learn how to use these tools because our spontaneous reaction, our knee-jerk reaction is to get defensive and, and, and argumentative, and it's, it's really hard to learn these things. And again, that's why I think <clears> – <throat> religions have had such a struggle because religions are trying to convey the same messages uh, and have been trying for thousands of years but uh, people <clears throat> are not attracted to, to love and, and intimacy and humility and, and, and open openness it's we, we, we have the capacity and the desire for love, but as humans, we also have the the capacity for for blame and hatred and re, and revenge, and those those motives uh, really really get in the way of uh, joyous, loving loving relationships. And any form of therapy or treatment that doesn't take into account these darker motives in human nature, I think, is is uh, is doomed to to not a very good outcome in terms of clinical research trials. I'm, I'm curious yeah. for you, um, in your experience, when people are especially using the disarming technique, so when this is, that's like, you could maybe even call that like the death of the ego technique. Yes, it is. 
And so what about if you're if you're afraid, for instance, that by admitting this, that it's just going to be used against you or you're going to be bludgeoned or you're going to get yeah. laundry listed or that sure. sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people have many fears that interfere with all of these techniques, and that's only one of the fears that interferes <laughs> with the disarming technique. I once treated a man who was referred to me as probably America's top malpractice attorney. <laughs> And um, and so I asked him this question because therapists say, well, if I because I'm teaching therapists to agree with your angry patients when they criticize you, because when patients criticize you, they're always saying something that's true, and if you agree with the patient, it won't be true anymore, and they'll they'll greatly appreciate it. But therapists raise exactly the fear that that you raised, and so I I said to him, suppose. But it's true in, in a love relationship as well as in therapy. But but I, I asked him the context of, of therapy because he was really interested in the five secrets of effective communication. And I said, therapists are always asking me in workshops if they agree with an angry patient, won't then the patient just dump on them and sue them and, you know, this type of thing. And he says, well, I'll give you the answer, but don't tell your colleagues. And he says, the answer is if, if therapists in the United States – learned a disarming technique and learned how to to really find truth in their patient's criticisms, he says, I'd be out of business. He says, people rarely sue for malpractice. They sue because the doctor didn't listen. Mm. And I have a way of making doctors listen. And he says, and if you ever were sued and you got on the witness stand and some attorney tried to cross-examine you and make you look like a monkey and you use the disarming technique – he says a jury would never, ever convict you, and it's the same in, in life. Um, if, if you find truth in what someone is saying and, and do that with respect and, and, and humility, that, that, that's music to their ears. Why do people escalate in an argument? What forces people to escalate? Yeah, it's there. It's uh, not being heard, not feeling yep. understood and – that's right. Yeah. That's right. But you can do all of these things, the disarming technique, in an ineffective way. And there's errors that, that therapists make and pe people make, which will bring a bad a bad response uh, from from the other person. Uh, it's like a piano. If you go up to a piano and start pounding on the keys, it's not going to sound very good. And if you try to use these techniques in a way that is awkward or unskillful, then then they will tend tend to backfire. And so uh, I, I emphasize that that if people want to learn these things, there's it's not it's not going to be easy. It takes a tremendous amount of commitment, intellectual training, and I have techniques in the book for, for doing that. And I have techniques I, I use in my workshops. And yeah, I so, loved how in. I loved how in the book you were like over and over again, you're like, do the written exercise. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, going to be so, so important. Because I know 100% if people read this book without doing the written exercises, there's 0% chance they're going to get it. And I can tell you did the written exercises because your own understanding is so fantastic. Well, I, I appreciate your saying that. And I'm wondering, because you do offer some great practice tools. So I'm wondering if we could offer our listeners one way um, 
And actually, before we do, I just want to, because you're, um, you talk about the relationship journal and we've already more or less gone over it, but, yeah. uh, but just so, um, people have that tool as well. Um, and it, the, the beginning was you identify something that someone else, your partner or the person you're in conflict with said, you identify your response as step two you assess whether your response was an example of good or bad communication. And that was the EAR thing that we were speaking about. Right. And then step four is... What is the impact of your response on the other person? Right. So this is... And that's called the enlightenment step. That's interpersonal enlightenment. The idea here is for people to to realize that we're creating our own interpersonal reality at every moment of every day. You're not the victim. You're the God who's creating the reality. That's a mystical and spiritual insight. And my relationship journal is, is simply a secular tool for bringing about spiritual enlightenment. Love it. Yeah, I can see it's, it feels really connected. I don't know if you're familiar with Byron Katie and the work and the turnaround and like her, her whole thing is about basically seeing how you're at the cause of what's happening in your world. Oh, no, I'm not familiar with her, but that sounds like a very related and, and similar concept. That's, yeah. that's cool. If we had time, I, we could give a, a, one more example of this, a more sophisticated example. We may be out of time, too. Um, we can do that. But before we do, uh, let's just give them step five, too, to like, you know, the, the icing on the cake step. Well, um, what, I, what I do with the relationship journal, they have to read about the five secrets and learn how to do them, but then to revise what you said to the other person using the five secrets of effective communication. And I ask the, the reader to, after each sentence, you put in parentheses the name of the technique that you used in that sentence. Like if, if, if it's disarming technique, you put DT, or if it's thought empathy, you put TE, that, that type of thing. And also that the first time you do this with a relationship journal, you'll probably have to try five or ten revised responses before you can come up with one that's really good. And you may need a friend or a therapist to help you too. Uh, to, and and it's, it's, it's not going to be uh, easy at first. And then once a person can come up with a decent written response, then then I practice it with, with role-playing uh, in the office. I play the role of, say, the person they're not getting along with and, and, and say to them the things that that person says to them and then see if they can respond with, with the five secrets. And that takes quite a quite a bit of practice too before people can get to good at doing it in in real time. Mm, yeah. So um, yeah, I loved the. I, I haven't had a chance to do it yet with with my partner, but I I I think that role playing idea it just sounds like it would be really um, potentially really fun. Also potentially really triggering, like how you would, you would see exactly where you break down when you hear like, you know, you're a loser or you, you're so inconsiderate or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Oh yeah, it's really, yeah, that's right. It's really hard. I had a, I did some, I was trying to do some videos up in Seattle because I wanted to show these things on video. And unfortunately the sound system wasn't good so it was a wasted effort but it was kind of fun when I was doing it and and I hired actors uh, so because it's it's an ethics issue to use actual patients Uh, and so I thought well I'll hire actors but I'll pay them not to act 
<laughs> and uh, you know, and then I'll do live therapy sessions with them, and so we can film and show how these things work. Well, I was uh, working with this uh, fellow. He was from Africa, and he was this real handsome, studly guy, and uh, big, and you know, very well built, and 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 and. and he had beautiful he spoke beautifully and he was trying to survive as in acting and he was just getting started and he was having to work at the grocery store you know bagging groceries to to survive and his his wife was pregnant and uh, they were about to have their first baby and they were living with uh, her parents but so they got free rent but her parents were about to move to the midwest sell their house and move and so his, they were afraid they where are they going to live when the baby's born where 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 is the baby go, where are we going to get money for diapers and things like this and so his, his wife uh, you know what his wife would say was something like well where, where are we going to get money for diapers when the baby's born what how are we going to survive are we going to be homeless what what are we going to do and then he, that was what his wife would say and then what he would say next which was very ineffective is don't worry sweetheart I'll take care of you I'll get another job everything's going to be okay and and this, then she would escalate because you know he, he he's not expressing his feelings he's not acknowledging her feelings and 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 just false reassurance doesn't come across as, as respectful so I, I I said to him what you've really got to be doing here is acknowledge her feelings be, be a good listener and, and and stop trying to reassure her because this just tick, ticks her off and doesn't – it sounds fake. And so I said maybe you could say something to her like, sweetheart, I, I want you to know that I love you so much. And But but it sounds like you're really anxious and really, really scared that we won't have money for diapers and uh, we'll be out on the street and maybe you're feeling kind of frustrated and a little bit angry with me and – uh, and, and sad and scared. T t tell me how you are feeling. I, I really want to, you know, see what this is like for you. And and so when I would model it like that, he'd say, "Oh, that is fantastic. Uh, uh, that, that's what I want to do." So then I would role play it with him, and I I would say to him, uh, "You know, where where are we going to get money for diapers?" See, I'm playing the role of his wife. Where will we get money for diapers when the baby's born? Where are we going to be hom homeless? What's going to happen? And then he would say, "Oh, don't worry, sweetheart. I'll take care of you." <laughs> <laughs> and and then he would hit his head at, at, because he 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 kept doing the same thing over and over again. And he was a paid professional actor, and yet he couldn't say what he was trying to say because these are such knee-jerk reactions. And then I, finally, I I asked him. I said, "Why?" We did it 10 times in a row, and he still couldn't do it. And you'd think it's so simple just to learn to say, sweetheart, it sounds like you're hurt and upset and scared and frightened, and tell me about it. You know, just it seems easy to say that. And, and then he says, I think it's because the part of Africa where I was raised, and I don't know if it was a tribe or what it was or how, how what the proper language is, he says, but in his village – the traditional man's role is to take care of the wife and not to deal with feelings and emotions and and you you're the problem solver and he said i think that's just so genetically bred into me and uh i'm and he said i'm really going to have to learn work hard 
to, to, to learn how to do this. And it was so interesting because he wasn't resistant at all. He was the sweetest guy you'd ever want to meet. And he was so conscientious and he was trying so hard. And the reason, and yet he couldn't do it. Uh, and that on the, I think the 11th try, he finally, he finally broke through and managed to do it after we discussed why it was so hard for him. But I think that what I write about in Feeling Good Together, those techniques, they sound so easy, but they're but they're not at all they're not, they're not at all easy. And so if if the listeners do want to develop use this approach to develop more loving relationships, you need to be patient with yourself because you're going to screw up uh, at initially when 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 you try to do this. It's it it it's going to be hard. It was really hard for me at first. Uh, but I, I really wanted it because I knew that I needed to improve the way I related to people, including my, my patients. And, and by working at it over a period of time, I, my skills improved, I think, quite, quite considerably. Yeah, it, one, it, one, one thing that yeah. I really appreciated about feeling good together, and there are so many things because like you offer so many great examples of how to communicate the way that you're talking about and how to really embody that principle of taking responsibility for for a situation and yeah. seeing your impact on the situation and i also really appreciated your your willingness to be in the book and to talk about how challenging it is and you know i so i read so many of these books you know for for the show yeah. and and that's sometimes missing like that acknowledgement of like yeah this is like this is actually complicated as easy as it sounds you know just yeah. like you just said you're going to have to try a bunch of times before you get it right and um that's really powerful actually to to feel like okay you know there's not something wrong with me because when you know when i hear you know you're you know you left the <laughs> the kitchen messy again there's nothing wrong with me that i get triggered and can't show up, you know, it completely uh, generatively in that moment yeah. without yeah. practice. Yeah, so that that that's right. That is, I, I just love what I, I love what you're saying, and I've known, you know, myself the shame of uh, failing in relationships with loved ones or, or with, with 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 patients, and I I, I know how how painful that, that that can be. And I think if if as a therapist or an author you can bring your own personal struggles to the thing, not 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 in this by saying, "Oh, I'm a loser. You're a loser. I'm a loser too." But, <laughs> but saying, "I know what that pain is is like. I know how hard it is, and and you know I can lead you to out of the out of the woods if you're if you're if you're lost." But it it we, we, you know we'll. We will have to battle a few demons on the way. We can win those battles if you want, but it will be a challenge. I'm guessing that, you know, one of the hints to, from your perspective, for getting through those so those challenging moments, you know, when it really counts to actually use this stuff, um, yeah. is the practice, is like the offline... Yeah. Doing the yep. relationship journal, doing the role playing with a friend yep. instead right. of your partner. Yeah, um, that's the only way. That's the only way it'll work. You could read a book on tennis, but it, 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 I guarantee it won't help your tennis game. You've you've got to actually do do the practice uh, and 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 get feedback as as well, immediate feedback on 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 how you did, and and that's the only way to to learn these things. And you've got to have a tremendous desire. 
as well. And uh, uh, you have to be very hungry. And, and that helped me because I realized early in my clinical practice that I was a fantastic mechanic, a technician. And to this day, I have incredible technical skills. I'm very creative. But that I lacked the warmth, the compassion, the, the, the capacity to connect in a deep level with some of my patients. And that's why I developed these techniques and this approach so I could try to learn to grow my, myself and then so I could have way of teaching my, my colleagues and my students and my, my patients as well. Um, perhaps a good way to, to wrap up because I, I feel like I could keep talking to you for a while and there, you know, there are so many great things and I definitely recommend you listening, feeling good together. It's, um, it's two, about 250 pages and it's a really, it's actually a really quick read. It's very engrossing, um, apart from the and time that's, that that's you- thanks to my daughter who was my <laughs> editor and she was fantastic and she was ruthless and she really helped me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kudos. Please, please give her my congratulations on that and making it, uh, very readable and, um, you know, apart from the time that it's going to take you to do the exercises, which even that it's not like a ton of time. It's literally just like a minute or two to jot things yeah. down, just like we did right. earlier in this conversation. Um, but I definitely recommend you check out Feeling Good Together. You visit uh, David Burns's website, feelinggood.com. Um, are there any other great things that people should know about what you're doing? And and No, I'd, I'd say I'd love it if some of them came to feelinggood.com. I've got massive free resources there, my own uh, weekly Feeling Good podcast. Uh, there's the Feeling Good blog. Uh, there, there's – if people want to attend some of my workshops, they're posted on the workshop page. Uh, there, there's all kinds of resources there, both for the general public – you know, self-help kinds kinds of things along the lines of my books, uh, such as Feeling Good Together, Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy, but also a tremendous resources for mental health professionals who would like to learn about the new Team CBT, uh, these high-speed uh, treatment techniques that that we've been developing in my group at Stanford for for depression and and anxiety. I think they. They represent significant breakthroughs in, in psychotherapy. And so if, if there are mental health professionals who, who are listening who are unhappy with their, their skills, there's, there's a, a, a whole lot on, uh, at my f- website for you as well. Great. Yeah, I was checking out your, the resources on team, and it's really, I think, mind-blowing the way that, that it's changing the kinds of outcomes that you're getting. Yeah, That'd be a good interview for another day. Awesome, awesome. Um, so, um, so we'll get we'll make sure that there's a link to your website in the show notes. Just to remind everyone, if you go to neilsatin.com/feelinggood, um, you can get the show notes. You can download them. You can text the word passion to the number three three four 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 and follow the instructions. We'll have links to David Burns's website there and his books. And um, yeah, the last thing I was hoping, David, if you could offer just like a kind of a quick glimpse of hope, like has there been a case where it actually did seem to you pretty hopeless and yet and someone was positive that the other person was to blame and yet they put this into practice and it really turned things around for them? 
I would say everyone I've treated is, you know, <laughs> who's stuck with it has been in that category. The question is not, is the other person hopeless? That's not the question. The question is, are you willing to change? Mm-hmm. That, that's that's the question in, 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 in conflicted relationships. If you change, the other person will instantly will instantly change. You can't not change other people. Um, but if someone is listening who's depressed or anxious, uh, then you know the new uh, techniques, drug-free techniques for treating depression and anxiety are are quite mind-boggling. Uh, when I published Feeling Good was 40 years ago, and it's it sold millions and millions of copies and. Two thirds of the people who you who read it who are depressed. If you give a depressed person a copy of the book, research studies have shown that it, it, within four weeks, two thirds of them will be recovered uh, enough to where they don't need uh, treatment or don't want treatment. And, and now we've that was. 40 years ago, now we've had massive uh, discoveries and new innovations uh, coming from my my psychotherapy development group at Stanford. And the prognosis now for complete and high-speed recovery from uh, depression and all of the anxiety disorders without medications is just is just phenomenal. So it's certainly a uh, ho- hope is is certainly the the the, the hope based on on r- real powerful new techniques is is certainly a, a good word. Do you think is there another book in the works that you yep. know, feeling yes, good there part is, two yeah. or yeah well visited yeah, or something like that because I was you see my publishers wanted me to revise feeling good and the feeling good handbook. And I looked at them, and they're so tight the way they are. They're, mm. I mean, they're really beautiful books, and they're still having tremendous effects on the people who who, who read them. And so I decided it was best to to leave them as they are. Uh, you know, if it ain't broke, don't don't fix it. But I'm 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 uh, writing a new book. I was writing it as uh, when you called when I forgot our, our our interview. I was actually writing it at that very very moment. So uh, so I hope to have something. And possibly an electronic tool as well uh, for for uh, on, online for to help people overcome depression r- really qu- quickly. I'm, I'm I'm very excited about the new the, the powerful new techniques. I feel like I have new new power at my fingertips, and it's so great to see people recovering now, often in a single you know two hour therapy session. Mm, yeah, amazing. Well, I I do look forward to having you back on the show to uh, to talk about that when it's ready for prime time. And uh, thank you so much. Yeah, and in the meantime, thank you so much, David Burns, for being here on the show with us today. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care 
and see you next time.